everyone, welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast, and today, because of the live action, we are talking about Aladdin. As always, I'm your host, Kate, and here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And we have a super special guest, Suara. Hey, how's it going? <clears throat> I am hey, actually, how you doing? I'm good. I'm actually here in Austin. Yup. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the first. Yes, it First-ish. is. First-ish. First-ish. First ish. I can't. Th- I couldn't think of anyone else if we like recorded like in the same city, <laughs> guest wise. Have we? I don't think we have. Yeah. Oh wait. Well, I'm honored. This is great. <laughs> Plus, I'm talking about one of my favorite films of all time, and glad to be doing it with y'all because I've been having an awesome time in Austin. It's actually my last night here, but I'm going out with the bang with a podcast recording. Yep. <laughs> As it always, is, it is on brand. On brand. Yeah. <laughs> Suara, why don't you tell the people listening where they can find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Suarez Seawalker. That's S-W-A-R-Z-S-E-A-W-A-L-K-E-R. You can find a lot of my writings on But Why, though. Uh, I've written reviews, I've written think pieces, and I will. You know, Kate already mentioned that there's a live-action film coming out. I'm going to be reviewing that, so... <laughs> uh, You'll find many of my thoughts on there. I've also written some thoughts about the upcoming live-action Aladdin and the Aladdin film we're about to talk about on But Why, though. So you should check that out as well. Awesome. Um, But before we get started, we have to start with a question. So I'm just going to ask a simple one. What do y'all know about Aladdin? Um, So, I, I mean, like, as any, like person who is like in our age demographic like i've seen aladdin um i don't put it in kind of like my higher like pantheon when i think of like disney movies that i'll go back and kind of rewatch. like it doesn't doesn't give me the same feels as like a lion king or even like a hercules does but um i've never like not liked it like there's disney movies that i don't like and this is this definitely isn't one of them i i i like the story i like robin williams in it I'm excited for the movie, so I'm about it. I'm excited to learn more about like the behind the scenes stuff because I, I've really only seen the movies. I really don't know too much about it outside of, um, outside of like the musical numbers and Robin Williams and kind of Jasmine as like a princess and the tiger and all that stuff. So I'm excited to learn a lot tonight. Nice. Um, obviously, like Adrian, I've seen the movie a few times. Um, I also saw like the sequel. Or one of them, I believe, or two of them. I don't remember. They kind of threw them in there. They happened. I don't really know if they really want to count that they happened. I guess we'll figure out tonight. I knew at one time in my life, I knew about the 1001 Nights that it was based upon. Obviously, it's been years because I started thinking about this in general. Like, when was the last time I actually even saw Aladdin? And probably been about maybe almost 2000 or before. So it's, at this point, almost been about 20 years since I've even seen this movie. Let alone, like, the origin story and everything else um kind of like adrian said it's a good movie but it's not up there in my top movie especially as we've gone on like it, i mean i guess it's maybe in a top 10 but I, honestly depending on where you stop and start the timeline it's probably not in there anymore to be honest but i mean it's a good movie overall definitely not something i don't like but we'll see what happens here uh for me I watched Aladdin a lot as a kid. I loved Jasmine a whole bunch. Not as much as my cousin. My cousin actually had a stuffed um, 
a stuffed tiger that she carried around with her all the time when she was a kid because she loved Jasmine that much. Um, but Aladdin was always, like, really fun for me. It was one of those movies, uh, Aladdin and Pocahontas, that I went back to nonstop. And I remember watching the TV show as a kid through, like, a snowy filter because we stole cable so I could watch the TV show as a kid. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I knew... And, and then when I started teaching college we would use Aladdin, the Disney movie, as a way to get our students involved in unpacking the history of 1001 Nights. Um, because I taught uh, religious studies and Middle Eastern studies, and that's uh, when you're looking through, and we'll talk about it as we go on, but like when we're looking through a scholarly lens, 1001 Nights is a lot of the ways that the Middle East um, and Arab culture were seen by a lot of people. And so we actually use Aladdin as kind of like a primary text from the Western side. Like this is how the West has interpreted these things um, going forward. Kind of like a travel log, but from the 90s. Um, but yeah, Suara? Yeah, I watched Aladdin so many times as a kid. I am Middle Eastern. I'm Kurdish American. Uh, I'm brown. So Jasmine and Aladdin are the only brown Middle Eastern heroes I ever really had growing up and even still today. I love these characters. I love the relationship in the film and in the sequel and animated series. It, they always meant a lot to me. And again, I watched Aladdin again and again as a kid. I don't know, as a kid, I didn't know why exactly I loved this film so much. As I've gotten older, it's really dawned on me. Yeah, because these they always looked like me. They were always the ones I could relate the most to of all the various Disney films I watched. It's definitely like in my top five. Uh, and as I've gotten older and watched it more, I point out certain themes that I can relate to now, even as an adult. And I will just flat out say it is a problematic Orientalist uh, fantasy of what the Middle East is like. And it's not a, like a lot of what the Middle East is like. But for me, and I think a lot of Middle Eastern and brown kids out there, it was our representation and we took it. And it was like, you know, again, the only real piece of media we had where we could see Middle Eastern people, at least in kids media, as like the real heroes in popular media. So it's something very near and dear to my heart. And I'm excited to talk about it. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Uh... I have mixed feelings about the live action coming up, which we'll get to later, but I think it's a wonderful story. I love Robin Williams, Jeannie, who just has brought so much joy to me and millions of kids and adults worldwide. And I think it's a real, I'm going to take a term from it. It's a diamond in the rough of a film that uh, I think is going to be continue to be enjoyed for decades, for years to come. And that is why Suarez on this episode, <laughs> and why we knew you wanted we wanted to have you on because we knew that you're you are an Aladdin expert, uh, yeah. pretty much. Um, I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to be doing this episode a little bit different in that it will be both me and Suarez leading it. Um, so you're going to hear him talking a lot as he brings us through a lot of this production history that he knows a lot of and a lot of But Why Those because it is really personal to him. A lot of the same ways that when we cover franchises that are really personal to us, 
Um, so to start that off, we have to start with where it all began, which is essentially the 1001 Nights, um, written by Shahrazad, not really written by her, <laughs> written by a whole bunch of travel logs. And tomorrow, why don't you kind of break this down a little bit? Sure. So you may have heard of the 1001 Arabian Nights, which is a collection of folklore and stories from the Middle East, India, North Africa, Basically, it's an amalgamation of all these various stories taken essentially by Western writers. I mean, I believe that there was an original, some sort of original manuscript in Arabic or in Persian, but most tellings we know of the various tales of the uh, volumes of it are from Western writers and their translations. But the basic story of A Thousand and One Nights goes, there was once a Persian, maybe Arab, but in most of how we know is Persian king, named Shahrayer, whose uh, wife was found to be cheating on him. And he went crazy, killed her, and took a new wife every single day. And, and it, like after their night together, he would behead her. It was crazy. And yeah, he was a raging misogynist and everything. We did no. not get that in the Disney movie. However, one day, the daughter of the vizier, Shahrazad, she offered herself to be a wife to the king and the king or sorry the vizier was very much against it he said no what are you doing he's gonna kill you and Shahrazad was like don't worry I have a plan that night they spent together Shahrazad asked the king if she could invite her sister over uh to say goodbye one last time before she would be beheaded the king agreed when her sister came whose name is Dezayad, I believe, or something along that those lines, uh, she told a story to her sister, but when day broke, she stopped the story before she got to the next part. She left it on a cliffhanger. The king was also listening to what the story was and was very intrigued, so spared Shahrazad's life to the next day to hear more of the stories. And this happened again and again and again, until Shahrazad told him what is in myth or legend the whole volume of A Thousand and One Nights. It was A Thousand and One Nights that Shahrazad told these stories to the king. And one of these stories was Aladdin and his wonderful, or Aladdin, that's how the Arabic pronunciation, and his wonderful lamp. At the end of it, the king became enamored of Shahrazad, spared her life, and basically Shahrazad saved the kingdom through her storytelling. And something interesting about Aladdin, it wasn't actually based in Arabia. It was actually, according to A Thousand One Nights, based in China, even though it used a lot of Arabic names and Arabic terms. But I guess they decided it had to be in China, or at least Shahrazad did, according to legend. But most modern retellings of Aladdin have it in have it somewhere in Arabia, and. The Disney version in particular was originally going to have it in Baghdad, in Iraq, but decided not to, or at least decided to name Baghdad something different. Apparently, Agrabah, Agra being a place in India, and Ba coming from Baghdad because of the geopolitics of the time and the Iraq War. Like, Aladdin came out in 1992, and the Gulf War was still going on or just ended in Iraq. So yeah, it has a bit of a complicated history in terms of its origins. It's been 
again, retold again and again in this uh, Western volume of A Thousand One Nights. We don't, for all we know, Aladdin may have actually just been something made up by Western writers because the history, as I understand it, Kate, and feel free to jump in, of A Thousand One Nights is so muddled. Uh, we, again, Western writers may have just made the whole thing up. Yeah, so a lot of it, and a lot of it, it unfortunately, like when you, um, when you deal with manuscripts to a certain date, you can't really verify authenticity so much. Um, so finding the genesis of a story is actually fairly hard. Um, but at least from what it's understood is a lot of these were individual stories collected in a, in Syria. So it was in a Shami, like a Syrian Arabic. And then it was then translated by a French traveler. And then it was brought to the West through French. Um, so it's something that has gone through a whole bunch of different iterations and has touched a lot of hands. Um, one of the things that lends a lot of credence to this coming from somewhere else and then moving to um, moving to Western audiences is because when you had, um, and, and I'm using travelers nicely, explorers, people who were already using, using colonial pathways to get into areas, um, but uh, specifically the French, um, as they traveled through North Africa, India, um, and other areas in the Middle East, they would send back these things called travelogues in which they would draw what they saw, write down what they heard, and a lot of that did involve taking down oral retellings of folk tales from areas that they were. However, because they were taken from somebody who was outside of that culture, it removes it from being a primary source, but just a first written down uh, piece of an oral history. And from my understanding, as these things got passed from hand to hand to hand, they all ended up being collected within one volume and attributed to one night from the mythical Sherazad giving the story. Um, but if I remember correctly, it's that it, it, it's from Syrian to French that it travels. Um, and a lot, at least when you look at the way the Arab world was kind of spread out and, and like Arab, Arab, Arab and Indo-Iranian um, kind of like land masses and the way that trade worked, a lot of that would involve kind of moving through um, through different parts of Asia as well. Um, which yeah, the Silk makes, Road. Yeah, the Silk Road, which makes sense for having some of it set in China. Um, and it's important to kind of understand, too, is like the way we understand maps now. Like, hell, if you go to a map of Russia 20 years ago, it's not even up to date. Um, that's the, the words that we, the names that we attribute to a lot of land masses weren't how they were at the time that this was being originated, which is, I mean, way before us but way after then uh, when they were written. So are you, So do you all think in this translation, because obviously we know if any type of translation over and over again, or just like secondhand sources, do you think it could have been something besides the lamp? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, especially because like, and my Arabic's super rusty, but like whenever you get like translations that happen, um, a lot of the times a word will get changed. Um, letters will get transposed. Correct. Um, mm -hmm. And if words are even similar to each other, they can get misinterpreted. Correct. Uh, they get they can get interpreted mis miscorrectly or incorrectly. Um, and on top of that, it's also assuming that the source that you're getting it from is 
from a primary source or somebody who is actually telling you their oral history. And then it gets even more muddied when you're taking an oral history from a translator who is taking the oral history from your source, yeah. um, right. which is how a lot of this happened um, during the time of French colonization. Yeah, right. And, and something that's actually fairly consistent in the 1001 Nights is the concept of the jinn. Mm-hmm. Now, the jinn are a Muslim uh, concept found in the Quran. They are a... Uh, they're a uh, third being besides angels and humans. Mm-hmm. They are made, as the Quran says, from smokeless fire. And they basically live in another dimension. They can either be good or evil. They're considered like sort of spirits, but not really because they can go to heaven or hell like after dying as well, as I understand. Yeah, and they're unique in the way, so in the Quran, the way it has, <laughs> the way like the creation myth, the Genesis myth in the Quran is that ali- uh, aliens, angels, <laughs> angels, aliens. <laughs> angels are specifically towards good. So angels don't have free will. They can't do anything other than what God commands. Humans are oriented towards good, but have forgotten where they've come from and can sin. And then jinn are fully autonomous beings who can choose good or evil. So you can have bad jinn and you can have good jinn. Um, and the devil is a jinn because like you said, Kate, angels have to be good. But in the Quran, Satan or Shaitan is a jinn. Yeah. So and it shows evil. Yeah. And then we're getting like the super complicated area too, because even like the devil in the Quran, in, in Islam is not even the concept of the Christian devil for the right. most part. It's just like, it's, it's essentially like a jinn, like Shaitan and like in, in a bad jinn or like an evil jinn or the devil jinn is essentially just this thought that you have that keeps pushing you towards doing wrong. But, like, again, in 1001 Nights, you have the djinn constantly pop up, uh, being attached to certain objects or, um, like, being the villain for a hero in each of the stories Shahrazad tells. Uh, Sometimes they're helpers, including in Aladdin, Aladdin. And there are actually two djinn in the original story. One from the lamp that Aladdin steals, which is a huge, powerful djinn, but then a smaller one in a ring he has, uh, you know, a sort of lucky ring. It's uh, And, you know, from the word djinn, we get genie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's the anglicized version of it. But, yeah, it's like, that is something that's fairly consistent, like, definitely came out of, like, you know, Islamic uh, culture. Like, so in a way, like, you could almost argue that genie... Uh, in the original Latin is like the most Arabic or, uh, you know, like culturally accurate thing. But I mean, except for having like maybe as being as powerful as he is in the film, because the jinn are powerful, but not like necessarily that powerful. I don't know. Uh, it's uh, no, it's interesting to think about. I've had good jinn before. <laughs> bad jinn before. Bombay? Yes. Bombay jinn? <laughs> um yeah um so uh before we get into latin i do want to talk about another adaptation called the thief and the cobbler um i may be one of the few people who has seen this movie but i love it it is essentially the retelling why am i not surprised it's a movie nobody's seen that possibly nobody likes that no so it is actually like it's rated really well the art is phenomenal because Are you the only is... person that given that rating? No, Matt. <laughs> it is um it's all hand drawn. 
it's all done on like like really small cellular film um and, and specifically the thief and the cobbler is a british american canadian animated fantasy film directed co-written and co-produced by canadian animator richard williams the film is known for its long and troubled history because it was independently funded and ambitiously com uh, complex in its animation. Um, for like the easiest way to explain this is that Thief and the Cobbler has actually, was actually in production for about 30 years and it was finally placed into full production in, 19, in 1988 when Warner Brothers agreed to finance and distribute the film. Ultimately, Negotiation, negotiations ended up breaking down when promotion went over budget and behind schedule. And a lot of this was due to the hand-drawn animation. Um, it, it's a beautiful film. Like, it's actually, it, it's, it's, animation-wise, it's more beautiful than anything Disney put out at the time. Um, and essentially, after that happened, Warner Brothers pulled out and a completion bond company assumed control of the film. The film was then re-edited, restructured, and by producer Fred Calvert without Williams' involvement and was released by LA Filmmakers um, and then later Miramax Films, essentially coming out in 1993, um, credited in places like Australia and South Africa as The Princess and the Cobbler. Um, ultimately, two years later, um, a subsidiary of Disney released an even more heavily edited version of The Thief and the Cobbler for North America under the title Arabian Night. Um, the one I watched was The Thief and the Cobbler because it was way after. Um, with The Thief and the Cobbler being in and out of production from 1964 until 1995, a total of 31 years, it surpassed the 20-year Guinness World Record, which was previously held by Tiefland. And this was upon, uh, upon release, the film, uh, it was the last film of Kenneth Williams, who died in 1988, Sir Anthony Quayle, who died in 1989, and Vincent Price, who died in 1993. This is a lot of people's last film because it took so long wow. to get made. Um, ultimately, though, when you look back at it, um, it comes out right after Aladdin, and it lops because it's not Aladdin. Right. Like, so is it a retelling of Aladdin or? Pretty much. It's pretty much the exact same story. But the Disney Aladdin had already saturated the market. For yes. That. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. There's actually like another, it actually kind of reminds me of a French animated film called Azur and Asmir. It's not an Aladdin retelling, but it is. Uh, it does take place in Arabia, and it sort of has that unique 2D style. So check that out. That's another really good one. So like I mentioned before, on the main Aladdin production, it came out in 1992. And like I said, it was meant to be in Baghdad, but the filmmakers decided not to lean into that because of geopolitics. So... This is like an aspect of Aladdin that sort of bothered me. Um, people having confusion over where it's based. There are certainly some Indian elements in the film, uh, mainly in some of the architecture. Although when you look at the buildings in Agrabah and like an like a regular Arabian town, like I, Arab town, I honestly don't see too much of a difference. But yeah, there are some elements in there, but. 
I understand like the confusion over like where Aladdin is exactly based, but they say the song is Arabian Nights. It is pretty clear where it's based. So I do have a question. Sorry. Um, oh yeah, sure. So like, as far as the confusion, I guess I'm trying to figure it out because like, as a person who obviously didn't know, I I guess I just always assumed and knew it was in Baghdad. Mm-hmm. And so I was just kind of wondering where. Obviously, I know why they changed the name. I mean, I guess I'm just wondering, like, where the confusion came. Because I don't know, yeah. like, if Kate or Adrian do. Like, I, for someone, I just always knew it was set in Baghdad, despite being called something else. Yeah. 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 Adrian was, what about you? you? Did you always know it was Arab or what? Um, I mean, I knew it was Arab. I didn't really, like, put too much weight into, like, where exactly, to be honest. Uh, but I, I didn't think, like, I didn't think this was, like, Mulan's China or something, right? Yeah. Like, I thought they placed it okay. Yeah. No, it was always confusing for me. Like, when I was a kid, I thought I didn't know much about geopolitics or, like, where, or geography in general and stuff. And so I assumed it was based in Egypt because I saw that they flew, Jasmine and Aladdin flew past a pyramid. But as I got older, as I was discussing with uh, my parents and my sister, uh, we are Iraqi Kurds. Like, we, originally hailed from Iraq and my sister was like, yeah, Jasmine is Iraqi. And it made sense to me. It clicked to me. And I was like, this is awesome. Like we are also originally Iraqi, Iraqi Kurdish, but yeah, it's like, so it's like, you know, as I got older and I think as I realized that so many, again, like Brown kids generally, including from India relate a lot to Aladdin. I, suppose I was confused and this is also again I'll get into this later it sort of like made me a little upset when I saw people casting Indian actor or fan casting Indian actors as uh Jasmine and Aladdin but like reflect on it more especially like for the fact that they were both clearly brown skinned people when you didn't see a lot of that I understand more why people would latch onto that but it is still based in Baghdad in the Arab world uh, so yeah, yeah this, I yeah. like on that note, like it was one of those things that like I didn't question when I was younger, like the song is like you said, the song's Arabian Nights. I assumed they were all Arab because of that. Um, it's 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 extremely clear. Um, but as I got older and especially when I was uh, doing my middle my Middle Eastern studies and Arabic degrees, it was like there was <laughs> essentially what we did was my Arabic teacher played Aladdin in the class um in the arabic dub or uh yeah in the arabic dub and we watched it that way and then we deconstructed the film and pulled out different pieces of uh middle eastern and um indian cultures and like kind of like put them into a chart essentially just breaking down how much the movie used from just iconic designs in multiple cultures and forgetting the fact that it was in in that it was an arab setting um, so it's one of those things where, like, you can kind of understand why people think that, because it's kind of like this blurriness of brown, like, oh, well, you all are kind of from the same region. No, we're Y'all not. Y'all kind of no, look the not. same. I know you're not. <laughs> but, <just> <laughs> like, like in the West, that's, that's how mm. people see it. They're like, y'all are kind of all these things, without actually assessing the fact that each culture has its own significance, its own uh, contributions, and its own unique styles. 
Yeah. Um, and that was like that. That was when I realized how much the film just kind of blended so much, and you could tell it was from a lens that wasn't somebody who was familiar with the Middle East. Uh, which exactly. I mean, the Middle East itself is a weird concept because right. the lines shift depending on who's dictating what the Middle East is. Yeah, and it goes into the production of the film. It was directed by Ron Clements and John Musker, who also did Hercules, The Little Mermaid, Treasure Planet, The Princess and the Frog. And Moana. Now, mm. Moana in particular, I love Moana, but it also has some, uh, uh, to a degree, some of this problem of essentially saying, oh, all, this is just based somewhere in Polynesia. Well, Polynesia is really huge. Not all Polynesian people are the same. There's Samoan, there's uh, Hawaiian, there's uh, other various other islands and countries uh, throughout uh, Oceania or Polynesia. And it's the same for the Middle East. You know, there are Turks, there are Arabs, there are Kurds, there are Iranians, there are, uh, in, even in Arab communities, like Egyptians differ from Lebanese, from uh, Jordanians, from Saudi. Like, it, it's like, I, I feel like, you know, like, again, while I love this film, a lot of what it did was like saying, oh, it's just generally somewhere in this region, but even generally can be applied to India when... No, this is an aspect of, and we will talk about this more in the uh, controversies, but Orientalism in which you view the East or the Near East as this exotic place that is just generally the same, but all you know about is that it's other, it's not the Occident, like the West, the Orient is like, again, this exotic, weird land from the viewpoint of all these western creators and again it's like i love this film but it has this pro these problematic undertones which i think need addressing but the thing about the film itself and i will talk about this as well like particularly in the music and lyrics it's like this film has so much heart like the characters are so richly drawn and the themes of this film like for aladdin jasmine and genie there is this underlying current of wanting, yearning for freedom. The music was by Alan Menken, who is an icon, who is one of the most iconic Disney composers, perhaps the most iconic, with lyrics by Howard Ashman, who died unfortunately during the production from HIV/AIDS, and also uh, lyricist Tim Rice. So, yeah, for me, like you know, talking about the film itself, it just. Again, watching it more, I love like the underlying deep themes of it of, you know, Aladdin himself yearning for economic freedom or freedom of status and Jasmine yearning for freedom to explore the world and Genie the same way, yearning to be free of his lamp. And I think that when you watch the film through that lens and how it has that theme consistent throughout it is just such a beautiful film. It's like an aesthetically beautiful film, but also in its themes. And I feel like this owed a lot to its success besides like having these great themes, like this wonderful music, the this great story. And um, in my opinion, amazing romance. I love Jasmine and Aladdin together. It was made on a budget of 28 well, million. Before we get to that, I do yeah, want sure. to ask a question. Yeah, about sure. three things. One, I do find that interesting because out of all this whole entire thing, I never once, I guess, thought that this was placed in India, that anybody oh, yeah, was sure. from yeah. India yeah. or anything. So that is interesting that you guys brought that up because that is something new because like, I just, a, I don't know, I've seen the film multiple times. A I lot of it. One time somebody was from India. Yeah, a right. lot of it is the uh, the replication essentially of the Taj Mahal in the main palace in Agrabah and then um, the fact that 
uh, Jasmine, uh, Jasmine shows her stomach a lot, which is like kind of mimics like a sorry in a two piece. Um, or a belly dancer. Or a belly dancer, <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as the directive thing, it was kind of funny because you brought those movies up and I was like, ooh. We, Adrian and I talked about the Pantheon of like Aladdin and as much we liked Aladdin. I was like, ooh, they did some good movies as in like Hercules, Treasure Planet, mm-hmm. Ma- and Mona. Uh, Mona. Uh, I obviously like those a little better than this movie at this point, <laughs> Aladdin, that came on. So I do find that uh, uh, stuff, not this bad, but it is thing. And I guess the third part, you, I get the whole like uh, looking for freedom per se. <clears throat> From like mm-hmm. all the characters and stuff, but I do have to wonder because I guess to me we look at it, we're like, oh, Aladdin's a hero, Aladdin do this stuff, but he was wasn't he pretty much just a con artist at this point? Yeah, he was. <laughs> I was like, so are we really supposed yeah. to like celebrate a con artist? It's like, or okay, what are your thoughts on Aladdin's journey in the film? So like, I think a lot of it ultimately, like when it comes down to it, it's, it's a trope that gets used a lot. Like you have somebody pretending to be who they're not and then having to struggle with revealing that to the person that they've kind of like fallen in love with. And then you have to kind of look at the trope and see like, oh, is this actually like, is this harmful? Is the lie that was made something that is extremely harmful? Um, and is it not? Um, and I know for me, like watching it as a kid, I didn't care. I just thought Aladdin was hot, <laughs> and I wanted to be Jasmine. Um, but I do think, like overall, like there is something where it's not like, oh, he lied to Jasmine for the entire time. But then he kind of reveals it, and then you have that piece. And I think had he stayed a con man for the entire, the entirety of the movie, it would probably be worse. And the fact that you have like the extra pieces. Like the television, which uh, Suara will get into more, like the other parts of the story that really kind of elaborate on who Aladdin is outside of just being a con man and looks at Jasmine and him develop outside of that lie. Yeah, because I know we've had that. I know at least uh, on this, I don't know if it's been like on the podcast, but I know me, you, and Adrian had this discussion about like, or like I think one time we even went running through Disney characters whether they were good or bad. And I know this came up before of like is Aladdin and Jasmine any good? Because Jasmine just falls for this all time and still takes him back. And then Aladdin was a con artist the whole time and did deserve to be taken back and stuff. So yeah, well I will like say I accept like all the criticisms. My interpretation of it has always been and continues to be. Aladdin did this because he lives in a very classist society. He lives uh, somewhere where a peasant like him could never have a chance with a princess. And when he meets Jasmine for the first time, neither of them knows who the other is. And you have to also remember, this is a Disney film. Um, man, man and woman fall in love very quickly. Yes. And uh, also, like I'll just mention the age difference, whatever you think, like, Aladdin's 18 and Jasmine's 15. I so. never even thought about so that age difference. So now you made it even more weird because I did I not never think thought about that, that age that difference. I did not know that that existed. Yeah. Did Is not that... know that at all. I assumed they were at least like 21 and 18 or 24 and 21. No, like uh, D- Disney says they're pretty young. However, we'll get more into this later in the story because okay. they do not they do not get married immediately at the end of the film. I want to heavily stress that. They're teenagers trying to figure this out, essentially. And, again, Aladdin lives in this class of society where they would never allow him to have a chance uh, to even date the princess. So, 
when he's presented with this extraordinary opportunity of a genie who can grant any wish, who can make him at least look the part of a prince and basically impress Jasmine's father and the court and potentially Jasmine herself, he knew he had a connection to her, but he just wanted to make sure he was at her level because that's what his very classist society has always told him. It's like when he's uh, when he meets Prince Ahmed at the start and tells him, you're, you're a street rat, you'll always be a street rat, and just kicks him in the mud and calls him worthless. Again, that's been a lad's whole life. Like, he's been called worthless. So it is definitely problematic what he does and, you know, trying to trick Jasmine and everyone else. But when it comes to, and, you know, the basically the highlight of the film, A Whole New World, that's where... Essentially, again, and he has this extraordinary opportunity with the flying carpet, but still, it's not even about the flying carpet. It's really about the message of the song. Jasmine does not want to be married because she wants to explore the world because she wants She's to... She's 14 years old and no, to explore 15, the world? 15, She's 15, 15 man. 15. Oh, my bad. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> she wants to explore the world. She wants to... Uh, not be limited she doesn't want to be a bird in a cage and she believes that whoever she'll end up with will try to cage her but aladdin or prince ali says to her no i don't want to keep you in a cage i want to expand the world to you and explore it with you which is why a whole new world is such a beautiful song and it's part of why jasmine falls in love with him and also initially discovers some of the truth that or like reveal some of the truth that he was the boy from the marketplace at the very least. And yes, again, Aladdin, he makes mistakes. Aladdin is not a like perfect hero. He makes a lot of mistakes during the film, but he learns from them. He makes a decision to tell Jasmine in the end before Jafar messes things up. He decides like at the end, I am going to free the genie, even though like, I'm going to lose this princely status. And that shows the real integrity of his character, the diamond in the rough that the Sultan deems worthy to wed his daughter. But again, they do not get married at the end of the film. There is an entire series. There are two whole movies after it that take, honestly, when you look at it, it probably takes at least several years or so. So they're probably into their early 20s consenting age to actually get married so you know like i think it's one of again i understand people's issues with it but i genuinely think it's one of disney's best romances i think it takes its time like you know when you consider not just the aladdin film and it's so beautiful and i love them so much and i'll now open the floor to differing opinions <laughs> no i mean i've never i mean i've always kind of thought that like Aladdin's kind he's kind he's kind of a dick for like playing people but I think Swore's right in the fact that like he was like this poor kid who had this opportunity like all this power I don't think I mean I think that like most people in his situation would do probably the same thing um which makes him like a relatable character in that sense but I also don't think it like makes him like any less of a dick as like a kid and as a little girl growing up, like there were, there was three princesses before Mulan, 
that I saw and they were actually princesses who did things. They had agency and they chose things and they were independent. And that was Belle, yeah. uh, Belle, Pocahontas, and Jasmine because ultimately they all had big parts in their own movies. And I think like like when I watched Jasmine growing up, it was always about like she had she was bigger than what she was doing and like and we'll talk about it as we go through but like her relationship with her dad is very much like what i had with my parents i mean my parents didn't try to arrange marriage me but it it there's this there's this duality between familial piety and choices you make for yourself so that's why i always like jasmine and i think that like aladdin really recognized that especially having watched like all the series um and gave her that that kind of agency without kind of taking it away like other disney princesses do disney princes do back to like you know, when the film came out in 1992 it was on a budget of 28 million and this is in incredible for an animated film it made 504.1 million dollars making it the highest grossing film of 1992 so like this film like not just as an animated film but as a film it will it really made an impact it continues to make an impact how many times have you heard a whole new world <laughs> like in karaoke or covers or whatever um and out of it disney capitalized on that success it uh in some good ways, I would say it maybe some not so good ways because it did help harken the deluge of direct-to-video sequels, uh, namely the Return of Jafar, which came yeah, out. I saw that. In, yeah, which came out in like uh, 94, 1994, and Aladdin and the King of Thieves, which came out in nineteen ninety six. So, the King of Thieves existed. is awesome. Because Aladdin's dad is hot. <laughs> like, his, Aladdin's dad is a daddy. Like, he's, he's hot. That, I knew that. existed. I feel like I've seen, I know I've seen Return of Jafar. I feel like I've seen The King of Thieves. I'm pretty sure I have. But I'm pretty sure I remember nothing of these two movies other than that they existed. And that one time, apparently, I wasted time watching these. <laughs> I will say, they are not the best quality films. However, you watch them in the continuum of Aladdin Jasmine's journeys. They like, they add a lot in my opinion. Like, uh, and I don't know, it's, it's like, go watch them. I think they're entertaining enough. They're not anywhere near the same quality as the original animated film. Not in the animation, not in the singing, not in the writing. Or oh, the, the songs are bad. The songs oh, are bad. The songs bad. in the King of Thieves are bad, but guess what? <laughs> Aladdin's dad is hot. <laughs> but what they also made was the Aladdin animated series, which I believe started in 1995, and it takes place between The Return of Jafar and The King of Thieves, and it shows various adventures that uh, Aladdin, Jasmine, Genie, uh, Carpet, Iago, who has apparently turned into a good guy from The Return of Jafar. And the, and the parrot. Yeah, yes. the parrot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's great. He's great. Uh, and Abu, by the way, I, I forgot to say, Abu is the best Disney sidekick animal ever. I will hear no other options. Abu He's is way amazing. better than that snowman. Anything I like Olaf, but I agree snowman. with you. Coco made I, me not like that snowman. I hate that snowman. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that's right. Oh, God. 
Uh, so well, wait, what was the name of her tiger? Raja. Raja. And Raja, yes. I loved Raja. Raja is amazing. Because Raja, Raja was, yeah. like, grumpy. Uh, but the thing about Raja as well, that's another reason why people were thinking it was Indian, because a mm-hmm. Be- Bengal tiger, uh, also Raja means king mm-hmm. in, like, Hindi or something, and... I understand that, but listen, the song is called Arabian Nights. I honestly think it's just because a lot of people in the U.S. see all brown people as that all brown too. People. That too. I think that's it. But anyway, but anyway, the Aladdin animated series is wonderful. My only like uh, it introduces this really cool character named Sadira, who initially starts out as a rival for Aladdin's affections with Jasmine. It's kind of weird. It's like, you know, them arguing over a man all the time, and she becomes a witch to try to get Aladdin to, like, uh, be with her. It's really weird, but then she becomes, like, a really great, endearing character and really good friends with Jasmine. So, um, you know, like, watch it for her, watch it for a bunch of other things. There's even, at one point, a crossover with Hercules, the animated series, uh, even though, like, the timescapes probably don't match up at I all. I don't remember like, that at all. You don't remember? Don't remember you don't remember, no. you don't remember Hercules in the Arabian Night? No! It's one of the last episodes of Hercules the Animated Series. Yeah, there's a crossover. Uh, Adrian, do you know any of this stuff? Uh, no. I was just more tripped out on how Aladdin is number seven. Adjusted for inflation on Box Office Mojo's Top 100 it. Animation. Yeah, and that that and Lion King are the only movies from like the early '90s Disney movies that are in the top ten. It's Lion King, Shrek Two, Incredibles Two, Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, Toy Story Three, Aladdin, Monsters Inc., Frozen, and Toy Story. So Aladdin beats out Frozen uh, when it comes to adjusted for inflation. Where's Beauty and the Beast? No one cares. Fourteen. So, yeah, that is, like, basically the animated history of Aladdin. You can also find Aladdin in a bunch of video games, like, for the, I think, for the N64, Game Boy. Uh, Beat a lot of one like, of those. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, also, Kingdom Hearts. Uh, you know, Aladdin and Jasmine and Genie are prominently in there, and Jafar is a villain. So, uh, yeah, wasn't in Kingdom Hearts 3. It was kind of disappointed by that, but still, like, uh, in Kingdom Hearts 2, like, the Acrobat level was amazing to play. And, uh, yeah. And also, you can find Aladdin in, like, other animated properties like House of Mouse on Disney Channel. And, it, like, Aladdin has had a lot of staying power when it comes to, uh, like, animated Disney properties. Um, but now I think we're going to go into, and this is the first time I'm ever saying this, the But Why Those of Aladdin Do you like listening to But Why Though? Well, the Podcoin app is a podcast player that pays you to listen to this podcast and all of the podcasts that you love. Just get the Podcoin app on iPhone or Android and start listening today. It's free and super easy to use with every minute you listen getting you sweet, sweet coins. It turns your podcast listening into charity or if you like, just get some Amazon or Starbucks gift cards. I mean, getting paid to listen to podcasts, that's pretty cool. I use the Podcoin app to do all my podcast listening now, and I can be 100%. I love it. So seriously, just go get the Podcoin app and use our invite code, but why though, and though spelled T-H-O, you know, you listen to the show, you'll get 300 Podcoin just for signing up if you use our code. That's 300 Podcoin just for signing up if you use our code, but why though? Go give Podcoin a try today.
already mentioned this before, but uh, one of the uh, biggest but why those is representation. Aladdin and Jasmine are two clearly brown Middle Eastern heroes. And I just want to emphasize that there are white Arabs, there are brown Arabs, there are black Arabs, and uh, those shades for other Middle Eastern peoples. But to see, like, clearly brown ones be the heroes and not, like, villains or terrorists, again, the only prominent ones Middle Eastern and Middle Eastern American kids had, kids and adults had in popular media. I think another one of the about why those is just the iconic music, A Whole New World. It won the Academy Award. It's still a beloved classic. And I think we all at one time or another just sing it loudly in our showers and <laughs> just like imagine we're Aladdin and or Jasmine on that magic carpet ride. <laughs> another but why though is honestly the genie. The genie is just one of the best animated characters of all times. And one of Robin Williams, the late great Robin Williams, most iconic roles. Just the energy and joy he gave into that role and the fact that he ad-libbed so much of his own dialogue and impressions during the filming of it. Like, like the genie is Robin Williams. And even though during the uh, animated series and Return of Jafar, they didn't have Robin Williams uh, because of a unfortunate contract dispute between uh, him and the studio... Uh, you actually had the voice of Homer Simpson, who I thought did a good job, but still, like, nothing could really fully capture the essence of Robin Williams in that role. Like, for me, the genie, I think, while I love Aladdin and Jasmine very dearly, honestly, the genie has always been my favorite character. I feel like I just want to, like, replicate that same sort of joy, like, when I'm just, like, going about in life and, like, just hanging with my friends and having fun and i like i don't know what what are your guys' thoughts on the genie particularly i think the genie is easily one of the most iconic disney characters of all time i think yeah. it's one of the most overrated characters of all time no nope. Matt, get out oh. Matt, get out what you Matt with a controversial canceled. opinion <laughs> okay, name okay, a better duo a, than aladdin and the genie <laughs> aladdin in the carpet <laughs> I do love Carpet. Carpet is amazing and, like, not given enough credit for all he does in the film. But, no, I do like the genie. I think he's a great character. I understand him being an iconic character. I just... What side character would you put above genie? The Carpet. Matt, no. Outside of Aladdin. Carpet would disagree with that. Carpet is literally beneath everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Adrian, what are your genie thoughts and feels? Um, I like the genie, man. I've always liked the genie. I think he's like, I don't know, man. When I think of Aladdin, I, not that like Aladdin and like the whole jazz and romance stuff is cool, but I personally think Friend Like Me is the better song and should have won the 1992 Academy Awards over A Whole New World. They were both nominated in the same year, which I think is crazy. Yeah, it was. Like, they yeah. were both nominated the same year for like basically everything. And so was uh, Prince Yeah, it's it's really um, damn. So man, so 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 Aladdin was gonna win either way. Yeah, yeah. Same. <laughs> Interesting, because even in like in 1994, can you feel the love tonight? Circle of Life and Akuta Matata are make up three <laughs> of yep. the uh, 
uh, like six, whatever it is, things there. Uh, but no, I, I like the genie. I like Robin Williams. I think it's like one of his best roles for sure. I also just think like from the live action perspective, I don't know. Like I love Robin Williams as genie, and I don't like Will Smith is charismatic, but I don't think he's as charismatic as Robin Williams was. But I think mm-hmm. the bigger piece to me is I don't. I don't see how Genie works live action. Like right. I think like how he looks visually, like it I don't know how you can do that outside of animation. Yeah. And because like even when we see him blue in the trailer, it just it's weird. Right. Which is I'm kinda like going with the Kate thing of like with the whole thing with the live action of kind of like the genie part of like to me, I just don't ever see him work in live action in general versus like I feel like if we had maybe a Will Smith playing like an animated mm-hmm. genie or some other person, like I may not be as good as Robin Williams, but I think you could fill the role kind of like you talk oh, yeah, about totally. the sequels versus I don't think the live action, no matter who they got, was going to work just because I don't think the character translates well. Well, yeah. Before we get to talking about the live action, I do want to touch upon some of the controversies of Aladdin. So I already mentioned this before, but Orientalism, like it is a fantasy of the Middle East that has little basis of reality with no Arab or Middle Eastern input. There's also, and this is consistent across the entire series uh, of films and the TV series, there is a strain of presenting Arab and Middle Eastern culture as barbaric because Aladdin and co are often fighting against um, people with, I will say, accentuated facial features uh, particularly on their noses, so you could make a case for like it being rather, um, like racist in their depictions of Middle Eastern peoples. Whereas Jasmine and Aladdin, um, they still are clearly Middle Eastern, but without those accentuated features. So like they're presented as like you know how I or any other Middle Eastern people, Middle Eastern person might look. Uh, and adding to that, the original lyric for Arabian Nights said, where they cut off your hand if they don't like your face. And it's barbaric, but hey, it's home. And they changed that. They actually faced a suit from the Anti-Arab Discrimination League uh, to get that changed. And they changed it to, where it's flat and immense and the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. So they still left the, hey, it's barbaric, but it's home. But they just said, oh, we're in like a big flat desert instead of like chopping off your hand for not liking your face uh that sort of um like assumption of the region is obviously deeply problematic it like accentuates these um you know like stereotypes about the region of it being backwards again making it the quote-unquote orient where we brown people do not know better like the westernized white uh occident and yeah it it remains like again it's like something problematic that like i and so many other people have always left like we recognize that problem but this is still the best representation you gave us growing up and also just jasmine and aladdin are awesome like they're awesome characters uh so you know you can pry them from like my cold dead hands before like i'm gonna like sign like again i will always call it out i think it's important that we call it out so that we always do better and that we get arab and middle eastern people involved in the creative process but um 
yeah, it's like, uh, it's still something near and dear to my heart. You know, one of my problematic faves. All of our faves are problematic. Uh, but yeah, like, on that yeah. point, too, like, so, like, because uh, we, we've used the term Orientalist a lot, um, and, like, I do with everything we talk about. Um, so, Orientalism is specifically a term coined by Edward Said um, in his book called Orientalism, and it's this Great look. Book. <laughs> yeah. It's a necessary reading, essentially, if you're doing any work in the region, whether you're looking at religion, culture, or even just geopolitics. And it's this understanding that uh, the way he framed it is that Europe, uh, Europe and the U.S., and then specifically the West, is the Occident. It's something that is central. It's something that is in, in focus. And everything else is the Orient. And uh, essentially what he did was he looked at all of these different travel logs, and he looked at the scholarship that was produced on them, and came to the conclusion, rightfully so, that essentially what they were were fantastical interpretations of what people had seen at one time. Um, at this time, a lot of anthropologists were Orientalists, but had never actually been to the Orient. So when they reported on things, they reported on them through uh, second, third, fourth, fifth-hand travel logs that have been translated multiple times and essentially perpetuated fantastic ideas without actually having done on-the-ground research. It's one of the reasons why I also specified that I studied uh, Muslims in the U.S. and not anywhere else because I did not go to those other places. I studied it from a U.S. perspective, um, which you have to do as scholars because for the longest time um, disciplines in the humanities were defined by this idea of looking through a lens that is projected by somebody else. So essentially, instead of looking at a undoctored photograph, you were looking at a text description of a painting of a literal photograph. Yep. And then making your statements and making your findings on that text description of a painting of a literal photograph which was just bad scholarship and something that is still prevalent, especially with the tropes that are, have long been established in our society, um, but is moving farther and far away as the world gets way more connected and has open, um, open ways. But a lot of our media still has that thing. But I just kind of like put the idea of Orientalism into perspective for those, uh, those of you out there who do not know. Um, it's actually, it, it's, it's an academic term. And it permeates so much of our media that once you have the eye out for it, you'll realize it's, yeah, it's in a lot of places. Like, not just towards the Middle East, but, like, other, like, far Eastern cultures. And essentially, like, I found, like, just anywhere that's, like, not the West, you know, like, Europe and... It's anything outside yeah. of Europe's boundaries. Exactly. Euro so, Europe it's technically... US, yeah. It technically even goes south to North Africa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of actually going east. Yep. Um, but that's why you have the Orient and the Occident versus yeah. an east or a west or a south. Right. So, yeah, that's, like, basically the g general uh, uh, laydown of uh, the original Aladdin. You know, like, we love it. It has its problems, but... It is still a staple of pop culture that is going to endure. And yeah, despite its problems, I love it. I can't wait to show, uh, you know, hopefully one day when I have kids to show my kids it. And um, 
you know, we are about to have a live action film coming out. So I am just going to go ahead and say at first when it was announced, I, I was having mixed feelings on the Disney live actions altogether. Uh, so some I liked, some I didn't really like. Uh, but when the Aladdin one was announced, I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. They're going to give a chance for more Middle Eastern and Arab input. And they're going to have actual Middle Eastern actors to play some of these, some or all of these roles. Like, I was very optimistic. Uh, where I am currently, with everything I've been hearing about the production, the fact that they have a white guy, Guy Ritchie, directing it, and the fact that Jasmine is being played by someone who is, by Naomi Scott, who is half Indian, half British, and... Uh, Obviously not Arab, but also someone who is very white passing, whereas Jasmine is not white passing. I, um, that and with other things I've read about the film about how they are trying to blend cultures along the Silk Road, basically engaging in another form of Orientalism, which involves just saying, oh, you know, you're just generally the same coming from the Middle East or the East. I, uh... I am not so much looking forward to this film. I actually watched a clip today of Will Smith singing uh, Prince Ali, and it read as very flat to me. The productions look cheap, whereas Aladdin, the animated series, like, it's lavish, it's great, it's opulent, as, you know, like, a lot of Arab productions would be anyway. And, uh, yeah, I have low expectations going into the live-action Aladdin, and I... Wish I was way more excited. I wish I could be excited for Mina Masood and Marwan Kenzari, who are playing uh, Aladdin and Jafar, respectively, and to see them in the film. But I apparently don't think it's going to be done well. And yeah, so sorry to sound like so uh, pessimistic at the moment, but I I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on this live action and going into it? Adrian, I think you may have a more optimistic view than I do, actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't really, once they announced it, I really haven't really put much thought into it other than, you know, Will Smith being it. Cause I don't really know any of the other actors too much. And I think it's an interesting choice and I guess we'll see how it goes. But I know that Twitter was just like ready to burn down the world. Not because of like any of the things that you mentioned, which is kind of like irritating. Like people were pissed like how Jeannie looked and Will Smith looked blue rather than like all of the things that you just mentioned, which seem like much bigger issues in my eyes and like why someone should be like not as excited to see the movie. Um, but not knowing any of that prior to like seeing the trailer in the theaters before we saw Detective Pikachu, I mean, I thought it was fine. It looked fun. I don't know if this is going to be a movie that I go see in theaters. I might, I might wait for uh, the red box for this one or something. Um, unless someone like Suarez tells me that it's worth going to go see um, in theaters with the way that ticket prices go. But when I saw it, I wasn't like angry. Like Twitter was about the way that Will Smith looked or anything. Um, but I can definitely understand the, um, the issues that it has coming from basically kind of doing a lot of the same things that we talked about, like was wrong with the 1992 Aladdin movie, but they're still just doing it now in 2019, which isn't like the best kind of look. So hey, what are your thoughts? I mean, for me, it was one of those things where, like, um, so Naomi Scott was the Pink Ranger in uh, Power Rangers, Adrian. Um, 
Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. she's all right. Her. What? Yeah, yeah. That she's not. That's not Jasmine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's not brown. What? <laughs> not even. I mean, she is brown, but very. But light. like, she's not light like, skin. But the difference, like, the difference yeah. is, is like she's white passing. Like essentially, like white passing versus like actually being phenotypically and being recognizably brown are two different things. Like my brother is Latino, my brother is Mexican, but he's not brown. He's he 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 white passing. <laughs> Um, which is frustrating because even if they did like, cause uh, like obviously you've talked at length about mixing Indian and Arab culture and kind of using them interchangeably, but if they were going to do that anyway, there's an entire industry of visibly brown actors in both Bollywood and Lollywood in Lahore yeah. that are darker skin and could look like a jazz could look more like jasmine than me white passing it, yeah. it, it obviously like the goal is to have you know arab actors um but if you are already going to go down that road why not use the amazing talent that comes out of india exactly like that it, seems the, like a really big waste yeah the colorism is just hugely prevalent and again there are white arabs there are brown arabs there are black arabs like it's it's like you know you Naomi Scott she could technically pass for Arab but not in the way that Jasmine is. Yeah. Jasmine is a dark skinned Arab. You have uh, to... just from looking at some of these pictures, like in some of like these stills, do they brown her up a little bit? They I don't know it, they it might looks have. Like it. Yeah, because she doesn't look this brown in the Power Rangers movie, either, does she? Either that happened or she lightened her skin for Power Rangers. Yeah, one of those Both two things possible. had to have happened because it's not doesn't look like the same thing. Yeah, yeah it, it kind of reminds me of like some of the same issues that New Mutants had. Um, in that, um, two of the uh, Latino characters in New Mutant New, New Mutants are canonically Afro Latino, like visibly Afro Latino, um, and they chose white passing Latinos instead to portray them. Um, which is just, it, when you come down to, like, canon, especially, I think, for Disney, because they have gone out of the way, out of the, out of their way for a lot of live-action properties to cast people that look exactly like the existing things. I think Emma Watson is an amazing example of that for Beauty and the Beast, and even the Beast's animation, um, like, they really went out of their way to cast cast actors and set designs to make them look like the original source material. So it is really weird to me. Um, I, I, so I do think watching the trailer on the big screen was interesting because I didn't hate it. Mm -hmm. But I watched Will, I, I, I watched the Will Smith clip of him singing uh, Prince Ali. And I just wish they had like let him do it his own way. Exactly. If like, you're going to get someone else to do the genie, then like let it be their own genie. Yeah. Don't try to karaoke Robin Williams. But it's not even that. It's It's also just like ultimately like, you're already changing so much. Why not just change up that song to let him get jiggy with it? Like, he does Will Smith well, and that's not Will Smith. That is, you're right. That is very much karaoke in Prince Ali. Um, the Guy Ritchie thing, because obviously Guy Ritchie's made actually quite a few movies that I do like, but I don't understand why he was selected for Aladdin. <laughs> None uh, of them are in his lane. <laughs> yeah. I like think... I said, it's one of those, like, he did Sherlock, he did, like, The Man from Uncle. I don't yeah. get Aladdin from either of those. Yes, like, I'm like, I like you, Guy Ritchie, in some of your movies, but I don't understand where he got, he was the best for Aladdin. 
just in general of like even genre of what he even makes his movies it makes no it makes no sense other than that i've heard that he's very much a yes man for what studios want so apparently there was something specific very specific that the studio that disney wanted with this live action i don't know what it is it just looks i mean the thing is with the promotions and trailers they've shown us a very few amount of scenes and you know it's funny the thing about aladdin even though it all almost all takes place in agrabah it still feels like a very expansive world this world of agrabah in the live action seems very contained i i don't know and it's just like i'm also we're also looking at pictures right now of the costumes and so, some of them look okay, but also like Jasmine's. I, okay, I remember you had. Feelings yeah, about my Jasmine's biggest costume. issue with Jasmine's costume is when she's in the blue costume that like we know her by. They put a corset on her to cover her stomach so that it wasn't a two piece, but it's nude material, like it's nude fabric. So I'm just kind of like, why are you going to cover her stomach with something that is supposed to replicate skin tone? Well, to be fair, cosplayers do that all the time. Well, I know that, but it's also visibly a corset. And they did it because, and they came out saying that they did it to desexualize Jasmine because people felt that Jasmine's costume was too sexy and the light, like they've talked about it in the live action and how they were going to make her less like that. And then they chose to cover up her stomach with a flesh colored material. And also a corset. A corset. And, and That's just the waist. And all of her costumes, she has a corset, which obviously is not in, like, Arab cultures at all. It's yeah. something, like, highly westernized. And it's just, like, again, it, it just looks like they're putting a bunch of color in there. Some of it, which is, it's like a blend. I was talking to my friend, uh, May, uh, May Abdulbaki, who's a Lebanese-American, and, like, it does look like a culture clash. It looks like, you know, trying to put saris in with like some Arab clothing. And it's like, I, and I wrote a piece of, I, so I wrote two pieces about this. I wrote uh, a couple months ago for But Why Though, my very complicated feelings on live action Aladdin. And then uh, like two months ago or so, I wrote a piece for Nerds of Color about how I think Aladdin's like delving more into the Orientalist and colorist trends. And I just like, I mean, again, some of the costumes like are actually pretty good, but a lot of them just look, just look weird. Yeah, at this point, I just don't know what they're doing. We've had some issues. Um, obviously, I guess we'll find out. For any of you listeners, you have a chance to see it in about two days. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Obviously, we have a lot of issues. All of us, we don't understand why and what Disney is thinking at this point. I get you, Sora. Money. Money. Well, besides money, we know they're thinking green. Green is their favorite color. But, but here's what's interesting. I saw a tweet today from my friend Jordan Mason saying that he's going to press screen of Aladdin and he got like highly, highly uh, severe warnings to not spoil anything, even more than for a Star Wars film, which is like, what could we all know? We should know the ending of Aladdin. Like, it should be a straight up remake, but like, apparently. I have a feeling they're going to change some things and not in a good way. Uh, our One of our contributors for But Why Though, Ash, mentioned to me, like, when studios do this, it's usually a sign they 
are not feeling confident yeah about that's the what film. i that's what i was going to mention like miss Fall's embargo date was until january 31st the day before the film released um so the closer an embargo date gets to an actual release date of a movie especially if it's a social media embargo it usually means your movie is terrible yeah i do i do not have a good feeling about this film <laughs> But anyway, like, uh, final thoughts on actual Aladdin, uh, so we can wrap up. Sure. Uh, I love Aladdin. I'm always gonna love it. I love the animated series. Like, no matter what they do with this live-action film, and no matter how they try to market it as, like, oh, the new update Aladdin, nothing will ever take away the original Aladdin films and animated series. I will always hold those near and dear to my heart. I know what Jasmine looks like. She is a clearly Middle Arab, brown-skinned, Middle Eastern princess. And along in Aladdin's, uh, like, her prince, they, they are iconic. They're iconic for me. They're iconic for so many other brown Middle Eastern people. And it's just, like, Disney can never take that away from me. Period. Like... It's just, like, no matter what you try to do with this live-action film, Disney, like, you already gave me, like, the representation I needed from you. Uh, you had a chance to make it better, but I think you're messing up it terribly, and you can just keep it. That's, like, all I'll say, like, the live-action at this point. But I love the original. It will always be near and dear to my heart, so, yeah, that's how I'm feeling. Yeah, um, for me, really quick, really simple. Uh, the original Aladdin has a... Like Aswara said, big place in my heart. I loved it so much. Um, I kind of do want to watch it again because those songs are really good, especially Uh-oh, Robin's Williams. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Like I have, I have no intentions of seeing the live action. Aswara's reviewing it, so I don't have to watch it. Uh, probably. Catch I'm gonna it on suffer Fox. for all of you. <laughs> Adrian. Yeah, I mean, like I said at the top, it's like it's not like one of my favorite movies ever in like in like the disney kind of canon but um as typically is like when swore comes on our podcast i'm just i can't like like you said i can't knock him seeing himself in media right like that alone makes it more important than any of my feelings on if i think aladdin's kind of a dick in the beginning (laughs) Um, it's okay you You can think that that's fine (laughs) Uh, so like uh, the cultural significance is there, even if one person sees themselves, that's really all that matters. And it kind of just sucks that the movie's probably not going to be what he wants it to be. And it kind of makes me a little bit sad. That's eh, okay. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that though. Matt? Um, I watched it. It was good. It's not my favorite, depending on where we start and end the timeline and what productions we add depends on where it falls at this point, sadly, because of all the different movies, but it is a good movie. Um, I don't, Obviously, I'm not spending money on going to see this movie. Obviously, I'm sure a bunch of people will. I'm sure it will. Movies in general, I don't like spending money on anymore. But they're expensive. But no, I hope people watch. Like, if they watch it, they get what they like. And we'll see what happens. Awesome, Suara. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you again? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Swarz C. Walker. That's S-W-A-R-Z-S-E-A-W-A-L-K-E-R. And you can find me on The Flash Podcast. Uh, we will have a review up soon of The Flash season finale of season five. 
uh, spoiler alert, this has not been my favorite season. <laughs> um, uh, and you can find a lot of my writing on But Why, though, about Aladdin, How to Train Your Dragon, Star Wars, and other topics uh, of anything in the uh, realm of pop culture. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank and... you for coming on, Tuara. It was a lot of fun. It's been a while, but I'm always <laughs> happy to have you. Thank you, guys. And as always, you can follow the podcast at But Why the PC on all of our social medias. Get involved in the conversation. Talk with us. Let us know what you think about Aladdin, what you think about the live action. And as always, you can find me at OmamethRandier on Twitter. Adrian? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z 93. Hopefully with a new picture of me and Tuara together because we met in real life for the first time. Yay! Mm-hmm. Matt? You're going to find me and my buddy, the carpet, who's better than the genie. Oh, get, get out. Get out. <laughs>